everybody, this is a Keen Atomic bonus episode. I'm your host Nick, and uh, joining me today uh, on this bonus episode is uh, is my usual co-host Danny. Hello, Danny. Hi, Nick. How are you? Yeah, we're doing doing good. Doing good. We we we're, we're kind of taking a, another break <laughs> from our regularly regularly scheduled programming uh, to get to to give you guys something different. Because yeah. we we we're just we're just trying to stretch out this season as much as possible. We you know we don't. Um, <laughs> the, 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 I mean, there there've been some unexpected breaks and sort of gaps in the mid, in, in between. But for this bonus episode, I think it was kind of my doing that we didn't actually continue with our regular scheduling, and the reason was Betty Davis. It's perfectly justified. So, just to give you a bit of context, I'm in London right now, and the BFI are usually very good at programming, um, and they usually have like a, a focus on a, sp- a specific star or a specific director. Um, they had Buster Keaton a few years ago, and they had Carol Lombard last year. They had Barbara Stanwyck two e- two years ago, I think, and um, August is Betty Davis season at the PFI. So there's a lot of movies for those of you who are listening and who are living in London. There's a lot, a lot of movies that are showing now at the BFI. And also there is a re-release, like a 2K, 4K um, restoration of Now Voyager, which we've had on the podcast, I believe. Yes, we have. Yes, so yeah, it's 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 a really good opportunity to watch that film in cinemas, and I've watched it last night, and it just it's so it's so much better to watch it with an audience, and I'm so happy that we've somehow managed to um sort of move past the, the sort of crisis health crisis we've had, and have the cinemas open again because it's just without them it would have been tragic so yeah yeah, no, yeah it's, it's good to good to have the cinemas open again and and it's kind of um fortuitous i suppose that they've put on this betty davis season for when for, for just about the same amount of time you're going to be in london you, you got back in london so yeah yeah and it, it's just to see film films that you've watched on dvd at home and you've enjoyed very much and to see them in in an environment like the cinema theater it's just it just makes the it makes a difference i think especially to me it just feels right to be back in the at the bfi the cinema theater um local cinema whatever you you find you find yourself in and watch one of your favorite films yeah i i i really i agree a few a couple of years ago um, I watched uh, Cleo from five to seven on on you know just a normal standard on my on my TV, and I you know I loved it. I thought it was a, a fantastic film. And then um, like a year or so later, the Watershed was showing you know a brand new restoration of the film, like two K you know you know transfer all this kind of stuff. And and I, I was like, oh, I've, I've seen it before. But, oh, I was, uh, screw it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Watch it in the cinema. Films always look better in the cinema. And, they do. Um, yeah, I mean, it 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 elevated that film up to to be one of one of my my all time greats, uh, all time favorite films. Um, something about seeing that film on the big screen 
just i don't know just was it was just a different experience um i'm not saying you know like you have to go to the cinema to watch films but it, it kind of helps <laughs> <laughs> well for film buff buff psychos it, it, it feels important to be to be back at the cinema yes but anyway i digress so um yeah this is why we are we're sort of taking a bit of time to discuss betty davis and to appreciate her and to sort of celebrate her the way she deserves i think i mean we've yeah. had quite a few films um on the podcast that starred betty davis do you want to give us a run through yeah, so the four the four Betty Davis films we've had on the podcast thus far. So we had um, back in back all the way back uh, last year, we had uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane, um, and uh, that was I think our fifth or sixth episode. I think we did, um, and we partnered that. What did we partner that with? It was um, um, Neon Demon. That was blank. it. Oh yes, Beauty and from within and without. Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, I thought that was a really, really good pairing at the time. Um, I still do, and and um, I think you know, I think it was one of our. I think it was a very, very good episode to to talk about, and uh, the film itself was, you know, full of. I remember us going into go you you going into quite a lot of detail with Joan Crawford as well. So that was a really good episode. Um, and then we followed that uh, literally episode seven. I think we we, we did uh, a stolen life, which came out in nineteen forty six. Uh, we partnered that with uh, Birth, uh, the Jonathan Glazer film, which starred Nicole Kidman. Um, I again, I thought that was a really great episode. I remember you. Uh, I, remember I really you loving... enjoyed Birth. Yeah. yeah. Um, then... I think yeah, it's, yeah, it's brilliant. We... And then we took, and then we took a, a long, a long eight, eight episode break for our next Betty Davis film, in which we did uh, "In This Our Life" uh, from nineteen forty-two, uh, which was all about sisters. And um, it's when we, where I, I got you to watch Raw for the first time. Um, yes, it's a vivid memory. Uh, how could I ever forget Raw? It's haunted me ever since. Not in a bad way, actually. <laughs> And then uh, six episodes later, episode 21, uh, we did uh, Now Voyager, which we had on the podcast, and we did that with uh, Star 80. Uh, the, I think the, the theme there was um, kind of trauma or uh, like psychological kind of control, I think. That yeah, was the I think theme it was about control. Just to get back slightly on, um, on In This Our Life, I know you didn't really enjoy that film. And... Um, I had to agree that it was not his uh, Betty Davis's best performance, but I um I was uh, pleasantly surprised last night when I went to the BFI for a special conversation about Betty Davis's career and life with um, film critic Pam Hutchinson and um, film academic um, Lucy Bolton, who happened to be my lecturer at university, who I absolutely adore. And Pam Hutchinson actually mentioned in this our life and how much she enjoyed the, watching the film, and how much she enjoyed Betty Davis's performance. And she actually played us a clip of of that film. And I, I, I finally I, I I got vindicated for having chosen that particular film on our podcast because it just felt like it wasn't just me thinking that it was a good film. It, it was someone with like you know good credentials that thinks that too. So yes. <laughs> Vindication. 
Vindication. My my opinion. I I mean I don't. I mean looking back on my notes, because I look back on my notes for 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 all the films that we discussed in the past, and I wasn't as negative as as I actually thought in hindsight. I look back on my notes, and you know I I liked. You know, I will go into it in, in a bit for a little bit further detail, but you know, I liked I liked Betty Davis's performance, you know, as um and I think it may come across as a bit 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 more on the negative side because I looking back on my notes I, I attempted to recast the film with uh, Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta Jones, if I remember rightly. No, that was uh, a stolen life. Was that a stolen life? That was a stolen life. Okay, right. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There we go. I I can't even get my Betty Davis films right. So I'm 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 the perfect oh person to, to have You're on terrible. this podcast. Terrible. <laughs> um, uh, but you do remember now Voyager and what we've discussed on it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because yes. you really liked that one, I think. I did. Yeah, I did. Um, I did. So I mean, you know, like I said, I had to go over my my notes for the 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 four Betty Davis films that we've had on the podcast and. You know, I I said with uh, what what happened with Baby Jane, I thought her. Uh, if we if we if we're just going to concentrate kind of solely on on Betty Davis here, because this is what this episode's about. Yeah. And it would be a bit. Sh- it would be it would be a bit shit if I just decided we're going to talk about Joan Crawford's performance and whatever happened to Baby Jane, because that would really Let's piss off not. the ghost of Betty Davis. <laughs> um, um, and it's a real yeah. ghost. As someone from the um, at the BFI, going back to the, uh, the conversation uh, I, I listened to last night, um, this academic was like very, very part of of his life was Betty Davis, and he feels her presence. And it, it's no lie; you kind of feel if you've been surrounded by someone as powerful a character as hers, you don't want to mess with her ghost. Yeah, we're, 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 I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to mess with her ghost. She will you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, her performance in in whatever happened to Baby Jane, you know, I, I thought it was a, a performance that was you know unhinged, deranged, psychotic, and I think I said something along the lines of they had kind of like a childlike innocence that's just kind of wanted to break through. Um, at the time, you know, I thought it was a, a good introduction to both, uh, you know, um, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Um, and then we had kind of a stolen life, uh, in which you know her her dual performances of the, of the two of the twin sisters had me had me kind of thinking that she clearly had fun, more fun playing Pat, you know, or um, you know, Patricia Bosworth, the more kind of sinister of the two sisters. You know, I I I, I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't more of that, and that she she clearly had more fun with the awfulness of that character. And then, like we said, it was the the slight disappointment of in this our life i mean in which i I kind of couldn't help but at the time compare it to the two other betty davis films that we we that we discussed um you know i said that her her performance as, as stanley didn't didn't strike me as as her having as much fun as she did with with patricia bosworth and stolen life and finally, you know, this all culminated with with now Voyager, which you know at the time I think I gave less credit and praise than it deserved. Like as time's gone on, I've kind of been looking back and thinking, actually, that was a really, really great film. Um, you know, and I, I, I think Betty Davis plays a different sort of woman from what I'd seen before. You know, in hindsight, her role as Charlotte Vale, you know, both pre and post. 
you know Ali Sheedy style transformation is that is the kind of role that almost almost kind of seems ahead of its time and then away from the podcast um before you know before the films I've watched for today's for today's episode you know I I watched all about Eve and um in which her her role as as Margot Channing is as as fiery as they come I mean her role is 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 one of the ingredients which make the film as great as it is and it's a great film um so yeah i mean when when danny asked me to to consider a betty davis special you know i had to ask you know whether where the fuck do i start um and i was told the letter jezebel the little foxes and if i had time uh of human bondage so four films four more films on top of the four that you know i had already uh five on top of the ones i've already seen you know and i had to think you know what 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 could it be about these four that could show me something I kind of missed before about the work and talent of Bailey Davis? Um, you know, what would be the best way to kind of work this out? What would I, what would I usually do with a project like this? Um, I think in, in the past, you know, with when I've watched through the careers of directors and, and stars, you know, I I go through chronologically because it's it's a chance for me to understand the development of of a star or of, of a director. You know, it, yeah. it would be a bit. It would be a bit silly, you know, just starting midway through and then doing one that's before it and then doing one that's after it, and you're just a bit like, well, you know, yeah. Gotta... Just to sort of um, explain why I chose these films and why the other films were chosen as when they were the ones that we had in the podcast. I think they've just yeah. made sense when we had the themes mapped out. Uh, like the sisterhood and like the um whatever the, the beauty inside and um sort of rivalry and whatnot with baby jane and whatnot it just felt right at the time which is why i had those chosen and it j- i didn't do it chronologically because i didn't expect you to sort of start watching everything that Betty davis ever did and why the reason i i sort of suggested these four films was because the like the letter Jezebel and the little foxes is I think like the epitome of of Betty Davis's career and it's mainly to do with her incredible collaboration with William Wyler whom I I thought was was one of the best directors in Hollywood at the time and I again suggested of human bondage in case you had time because that is what made her a star uh, but yeah, I thought that the, her collaboration with William Waller was pivotal, and I didn't want you to miss that, which is why I've, I've sort of, sort of put those three at the top. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, with our, our podcast format, kind of, you know, the way the way we kind of come up with episodes, especially you know in the first season when we were kind of coming up with the initial, I think it's the initial twelve we had before we decided just to carry on because there was nothing else going on in the world at that time. <laughs> you know, we we, you know, we we our, we just we we went with prompts, didn't we? We went with yeah. Um, you know, should we talk about this? You know, there was a film I had in mind, and there was a film that you had in mind, and we would just kind of go with that. Whereas now, you know, you know, we we think of you know that we're just like, oh, what's the theme for this? And we still kind of do this now. Um, you know, we're we're kind of planning season three, and and it's more yeah. It's more like you just messaged me just saying, I want to talk about this. Let's do this. And I'm like, okay. 
Yeah, that's fair enough. And then, Um, you know, then we go from there. Um, And I think, you know, I I think, you know, that at the time, you know, it made sense. Uh, Yeah, I didn't expect you to be so into Betty Davis that we you would agree to a special Betty Davis uh, episode. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I will get. I actually, I actually, yeah, I'll I'll get onto that in in a minute as well. But you know, it it, when when doing these films kind of chronologically, the the four films chronologically, you know, it kind of became clear that her talent. You know, when looking with the other films we watched the pod. It kind of really shines when she was playing difficult characters, characters that, you know, have more than just kind of surface level depth. I'm not saying other actresses that we've had discussion on this podcast have been like that. Um, certainly some actors, I think, have been like that, but not 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 so much the actresses. I just think, you know, there, there are clearly some roles which, you know, performers really revel in. And with for me watching this as an outsider, not somebody who knows Betty Davis's career as as well as Danny, you know, like it really shows that she thrives when she's got one with with that has a has a fire in them, has a ferocity and has a power. Um with with human bondage, with off human bondage, you know, her Mildred Rogers is is a despicable creation. You know, it's one that I I don't understand any actress wanted to take on. You know, Neither it, did well. Um, uh, what is Jack Warner? He didn't understand it either. He was very adamant, and he was like, "I'm not gonna. It's career suicide. I'm not, not gonna let you play that." Um, and Betty Davis was so driven, and she was so determined to win that role. It was it was not with Warner Brothers, by the way. It was with RKO. It was. Jack Warner was supposed to loan her out, so he would not. He would make money because he, if he loaned her out, they would pay her salary and they would also pay a bonus to to the studio that loans her out. Um, but she was an investment, so he was very reluctant to actually give her to somebody else and and destroy her career because she was an investment. And uh, in her biography, Betty Davis said that she was sort of lurking with. It, she was there in the morning, first thing in the morning, in in her his office, begging him for like six months before she was let to to go to and um, star in of Human Bondage. And she was the only American girl who did it. Um, uh, she was part of the cast, and Leslie Howard didn't really like that until he saw her performance, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I the, the if, you know the film itself. I I did you know I I did enjoy the film itself. I thought it was very very compelling. I thought Leslie Howard's performance was 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 brilliant. Um, I really did. Um, there's a lot of quotation mark symbolism in the in the uh, in the film, very on the nose. But um, yeah. I you know I thought her. Mildred Rogers was, I mean, yeah. I, initially, I was kind of like, what the earth is going on with her accent? And was trying to spend a while trying to figure out where the film is actually set. Because it doesn't actually say straight off the fact that it's initially set in London. I kind of had to work it out. Yeah, um, it is. Um, the explanation for the accent is she was... She hired a maid who had a Cockney accent and she spent about six or eight weeks trying to master the the cockney accent which i find I, I think it would like very hard to do but i think on top of that she added some sort of 
Cockney accent trying to pretend to be a lady, which is why it sounds so weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I got used to it. I got used to it. So when we finally get, you know, her outburst, uh, I wipe my I wipe my mouth outburst, <laughs> which is excellent. You know, like you know, I, I it was really invested. You know, it was it was really powerful. I love that. You know, I love that. It seems so. I think I've watched it about thirty times. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it, you know she she makes the performance her own. Yeah. Um. And when you know, I I did learn in high, I did learn you know, doing a little bit of research that you know this was the role that kind of made her a star, and it's kind of a, a, an odd, an odd start if you think about it that way. If you think of you know roles that become that make actresses and actors stars, you don't really go with a role that like that. You know, like that's not really one that you think of. No, I, I think that the 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 strength with Betty Davis was that she was smart enough to understand that people who watched her performance would be in their turn smart enough to understand that that was a performance and appreciate it as a performance and yeah. separate her performance from her own self. Because with Of Human Bondage, she basically wanted to stretch her acting abilities and not. So just to give you a bit of a background, so stop me if, if it gets too boring. But before Of Human Bondage 1934, Betty Davis had made 20 films in Hollywood. And they were they were very, they were B pictures. They were like very bad films, most of them, with slight, very few exceptions. And she was tried, she, she was made to be like a clothes horse, a glamour girl. Didn't really work out because she was made to... to copy other other actresses more su- successful than her um Greta Garbo for instance um in fashions of 1934 so this was bef- right before of human bondage but she didn't fit in she just really didn't want to be had her have her hair bleached and put like extra makeup and straighten her teeth and whatnot she wanted to be an actress she didn't want to be a glamour girl um, and back then, the difference was very minimal. And I think that's where her sort of power came from, because nobody would be like, like in Hollywood in 1930s, early 1930s, if you were an actress, you were just a, a beautiful girl who'd won some beauty contest and made it in Hollywood. Um, or a chorus girl who worked very hard, like, John Crawford, for instance, she was she she was a chorus girl who made it um, eventually after lots of hard work and toil. Uh, whereas Betty Davis came from the stage; she was on Broadway, um, and she really wanted to be to be an actor. She didn't want to be a, a pretty girl, which is why she very much wanted to to play Mildred. And it was. It, it you say that it was the the role that made her a star. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, everybody kind of knew what she could do as as an actor in Hollywood, and everybody appreciated it, except for her employer, Jack Warner, because a it was a film made by some a, a, a rival studio, RKO, and he wouldn't want her to be successful in in a in a different with with a different studio and a different part that and that's why she didn't win the oscar 
she was she wasn't nominated first of all the nomination came as a write-in because everybody kind of complained about it everyone was like up in arms and how could she not get nominated are you crazy um going back to uh, my reference there's a beautiful video um by be kind rewind in which they she explained exactly what what was happening at the time in hollywood why everybody was so bent on having her at least nominated so there was a right in nomination um and i think it kind of changed the way people were being vo were voting nominations after that and well she didn't win um claudette colbert won for it happened one night which i think oh nothing nothing i i'm not a big fan of claudette colbert sorry so i'm i'm, I'm not a liberty to speak about it I'll be too biased. Sorry, no, it's just, it's just, it's a good film. It's a very good, uh, screwball comedy. Clark Gable, Claude Gable. It just, I found it very overrated. Um, anyway, she won the next year for a film called Dangerous, which is a very, very forgettable film. She has a good performance because she always has good performances in her, but the story is quite silly. And, but it was a consolation win for her and i think that was the first ever consolation win and in her biography betty davis talks about how she got it for dangerous when somebody else deserved to, to have it that year and it kind of sort of set up a chain of events that we see today in hollywood yeah. in oscars where somebody got got it because they it was overdue and whatnot so it started with uh, human bondage Yeah, sorry, that was a bit parenthesis. No, 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 it's fine. I mean, it's it's good to know that uh, the practices of the academy is a tradition that's been happening for for seventy odd years. Yes. Um, true. <laughs> so when when we get worked up over the inevitable backlash of next year's Oscars, we can we can look back and go, yeah, it all started here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. But yeah, I'm glad that you had time to watch it because I think it's a great performance. Um, and if you have time to, to read the novel as well by Somerset Morn, um, it, it's a very good story. Um, okay. I mean, this this version, the film version, is very, very much trimmed. And it doesn't actually... I don't think it does justice to exactly what Philip um, played here by Leslie Howard actually felt towards Mildred and the ups and downs of the relationship and how many times she sort of laughed in his face and sort of uh, how cruel she was towards him and i think the only way to to express that was was perfectly done by by betty davis yeah 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 um i mean it was it was kind of i wouldn't say jarring but it yes it was jarring actually kind of thing in hindsight to go from this to to jezebel um <laughs> It was, you know, the first of the three William Wyler films, and this came out in 1938. Um, and what also kind of was a was a surprise as well was seeing a certain person's name pop up on the credits. Um, it was like, holy shit, Henry Fonda's in this. Oh yes, embryo level um, Henry Fonda. <laughs> yeah, um, he was very young. I, I, yeah, very young. Um, yeah, so. Julie Marsden, uh, her character, you know, has this really vivacious energy. You know, she has a really compulsion for 
not giving a shit. <laughs> um, really shown in, in her introduction where, you know, we're meant to have this, uh, you know, extravagant party and she shows up, you know, after just gotten off a horse and she's just in her riding gear. <laughs> she still looks amazing, but, you know, yeah. everyone else is like, what the freaking hell are you wearing? Um... Again, uh, they get, you know, that's followed up later on with the the fact that they got this this traditional dance where every you know, all the women who are not married wear white, and she shows up in a in a red dress, um, you know, scandalous, um, I think is the word. Yeah. You know, I her, you know, the, the the narrative revolves around her, and I think a weaker actress, a weaker uh, a performer would not have this film wouldn't have worked with it she owns it she you know that this this film works because of her you know when you're when your primarily love interest is is played by by henry fonda a very young henry fonda you know it is quite the feat um yeah. and i think this is the first you know the first of the three william wilder films i know you know i'll get on to that a little bit more but you know there were little touches here and there if we if I'm if I'm just getting just diverging a little bit on the directorial kind of move you know stuff, uh, little touches here and there, uh, which made the film even a bit you know even even more enjoyable. Um, even so, like her was hers was the the performance that really kind of grabbed me. Um, I thought the conversations just you know kind of revolving around what she wants to do you know she's pissed everybody off with her actions and she's trying to make amends at the end and you know it kind of has this kind of sappy happy ending kind of thing and and i'm a little bit like happy eh. ending yeah well she, I want to say, did you say happy, happy ending, ending? Yeah. well she she goes to the leper him, colony and they both die oh i must have missed that bit what did you think the happy ending was? <laughs> they just ride in the sunset I don't, together. No I, no, I honestly, yeah, I honestly thought that's what happened. Well, oh, I don't I, think I, I don't think that lo- the likelihood of them surviving the leper colony is very, very, very like not point zero zero one. I mean, there is a small chance, but it's not a very good chance is at it said, all. Is it actually said in the film that they die, or is that just the inf- no, no, no? I mean, it's implied. He he will not maybe, be able to survive. Maybe the I'm just maybe maybe I'm just a glass half full kind of person. Okay, okay, that's an interesting debate uh, right there. I don't think. And he, if he survives this, do you think he's going to stay with her? He's going to go back to his wife. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I yeah. Okay, all right. I I clearly I clearly was was too optimistic. At the yeah. End. No. Oh God. <laughs> No, I mean, the, the idea with, with Jezebel was that she gets her comeuppance in the end for all the wrong things that he's done, she's done in her life. Um, misjudged, and she was, she was, she was a rebel, um, Judy was, but she, I, I, she wasn't malicious. She was just trying to be herself and not have anyone tell her what to do. And I think she took it a bit too far because she was like slightly spoiled. Um, but ultimately, she has to pay for, if not sort of losing the love of of press, at least for 
enticing a duel in which somebody loses their life. Yeah. And, no, no and I, I get, I get that now. I just, like I said, I, I you know, I'm clearly, she I'm was, clearly was think at the end <laughs> thinking, oh, you know, they're going to be fine. They're going to be just fine. You know, you know, I, I read <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, and I get to the ending. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for the second book where it turns out this is all a dream. You know, and <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, I, you know, that's um, the kind um, of person I am. Yeah. So. That's very interesting take on on, on Jezebel. Uh, but no, I think because if you remember the end, she's basically begging the wife to let her go because she knows it's it's complete suicide to, to yeah, do yeah. that. And the the wife just lets her because she's you know, she she's probably quite a mousy character anyway, and she would not be strong enough to to sustain that sort of sacrifice. And the sacrifice, Julie's sacrifice in the end, is kind of redeems her. For all the nasty little things that she's done, but yeah, I think it 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 was a start. I think this is kind of the star-making film that she really wanted, because if she got a if she got her first Oscar with Dangerous, it was a, it was a consolation prize for Mildred. This was was the Oscar that she felt she deserved, which she eventually got. Um, and she. I think, having read her biography now, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think she fell madly, madly in love with William Wyler. After this, after the, after working with him on this film, um, because she, in in her biography she mentions a man that she wishes she'd married, but she was too afraid because he was very, very intense and 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 domineering and and had since uh, he was a very strong character same as her and i felt like she mentioned she meant him um i wouldn't i couldn't be, be positive of course but from what i've read about their relationship she was absolutely very much impressed with with him um as as a director because it was i think it was the first time that she worked with someone someone of his caliber um and a bit of context william wilder was someone who would do 45 50 takes for one small scene Be- and he was quoted as having said that I don't know exactly what I'm looking for but once I see it I know it's I know I know what it is but before I've un- until I know exactly what I'm looking for let's just do takes after take t- after take and the opening sequence in Jezebel when she sort of lifts her skirt with the riding crop was done about 45 times and she had perfected it quite from the get-go, but she wasn't sure exactly what he wanted. And he invited her back to watch the dailies, which was, again, unheard of. She'd never been invited to watch the dailies by anybody, any other director uh, before. And she realized that with each take, there was something some something different and there was some sort of the vivacity and some spontaneity in her performance that wasn't there the previous take so she understood exactly what what he had seen in in her performance all right okay yeah yeah and yeah and um i think she wishes she'd worked with him more than three those three times but the reason actually i think the reason i wanted to to have this special episode was to discuss uh, betty davis's collaboration with william wilder because it made three brilliant brilliant films 
and uh, just like like I said at the beginning having seen Jezebel on the big screen two days ago I have to say that I have newfound respect um, for for this collaboration and I'm just really really happy that we we, we got to around to, to discussing it my friend uh, Magda who I went to see the film with she's she's very anti-Scarlet so she doesn't like Scarlet O'Hara at all and she always found Gone with the Wind extremely boring very too long way too long and uh, after we came out of, of watching Jezebel she was like oh my god I love it much more than <laughs> Gone with the Wind and I don't say that I agree with her but I can I kind of see where she's coming from because I think this Jezebel is much more intimate affair it is not as lavish and overbearing as Gone with the Wind is because oh, Gone with the Wind there's so much happening that it just it tire it's tiresome at, at one point whereas Jezebel I think it's just it's just captures the essence of the South a bit more especially with with the conversations at the table I don't, I don't know if you paid attention but when press comes back with a new wife and they have the dinner tape the, the dinner conversation about abolitionists and and all that very sensitive dialogue and I think it's done in quite a good way I don't know if if you agree because yeah, now I mean, I, I think, I, yeah go on. go on no 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 you're gone I was just gonna say that we we look at it now and we cringe we, we listen to the conversation we start we go like oh but we have we have to understand that this is what it was happening in 1852 in in New Orleans so it's it's quite I think it's quite accurate as to what conversations would be carried maybe like what Brexit did with people with families now <laughs> yeah that's that's not a touchy subject at, at family meals at all um, yeah I, th I think no I think uh, yeah I think you're onto something I think Jezebel I mean I I did catch up I did catch on to the to the parallels with Gone with the Wind um you know i think it it's it's kind of saying something that you know we're spending you know 15 20 minutes talking about jezebel and we're kind of capturing it quite well whereas we spent two and a half hours on gone with the wind and i don't think we even scratched the surface um <laughs> you know what i mean like I, I there's a reason why we ended up talking about that film for so fucking long i know um, and i i, I and really I, like it i grew up watching it and but i think jezebel is is again it's more intimate and yeah well, I agree. I agree with your friend. I would much rather watch Jezebel again than Gone with the Wind. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, um, especially with with Henry Henry Fonda. Um, yeah, yeah I, mean, I um, I had a few other things to talk about when when if we were still on Jezebel. Um, no, go for it. Go for it. Famously. Um, there was, like I said, William Wyler was brought in from um, Samuel Goldwyn's uh, studio to work on this, and he was very expensive. And he he would take, he would do take after take after take, and this would inflate the budget and go behind schedule. And if we take into account the fact that at <coughs> Warner Brothers, it was the way people worked at Warner Brothers was like just get one take, just print one take and hope for the best kind of thing because they were like more of the assembly line mind if you know what i mean um with one of 
Warner Brothers were like, okay, let's just roll it and, and hope for the best. And just, we have two weeks to finish this picture and then we have another picture and then another picture. So quality, it was more quantity over quality. Um, with William Waller, it was not the case. And he was almost fired from the production because he was going over budget and behind schedule. And, and Betty Davis said that she would rather work almost continuously from like six in the morning till midnight um, to make up for the lost time rather than having replaced midway through the production. And because she knew exactly how much, how valuable he was and how a perfectionist and he was, he was more like a genius. And, um, and you could see it in, in like this, like you said, small quirks and small details, like, um, at the first scene when when pressed come to the comes to the house with 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 a stick and it, it i think it's such a comedic scene that that works really really well and the tongue-in-cheek way they they present like you know um domestic abuse it's like oh yeah you forgot to use the cane oh no um and it, i think it, it puts a different spin on on things and uh, betty davis knew about it and that's why she she valued her director so much also um one thing that delayed delayed um production was that the fact that harry fonda's wife was pregnant and he had to go back to new york because jane fonda was born oh. yeah okay oh. and just to round it up and i won't say anything about jezebel but I think I've sent you the link to the um, AFI Presents Betty Davis, like Lifetime Achievement Award. And Mistress of Ceremony was was Jane Fonda. And she talks about how she sort of delayed production on, on Jezebel because she was being born. <laughs> I'll, add the, uh, I'll add the link in the show notes for that. Yeah, so. add the link in the show notes because it's 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 on YouTube. I hope they haven't taken it down because it's, it's, it's one hour long and it's just brilliant to have all these people. William Waller talks about her, as he says a few things about her. Paul Henry from, from now Voyager, um, he presents her, sort of, he pays homage. And yeah, there's a lot of people who talk fondly about her on, on that stage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll add that into the, into the show notes. So we had, you know, Jezebel being the the first of the three collaborations um, with William Wyler. The second one, the letter. So this is the first time I kind of felt like the filmmaking went up another level. Um, William Wyler's direction and Max Steiner's score are a real, true accompaniment to what I'm going to call Betty Davis kills her lover and tries to get away with it hour. Uh, what? Kills her it's, lover. It's, yeah, well, she does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's what it's that's what it is. Betty Davis tries to kill her lover, kills her lover, and tries to get away with it. Um, and she, well, she almost get, gets away with it. She, she, well, I think she would have done if it wasn't for the Hayes Code. Excellent. Thank you. Um, oh, I think in the novel I, she does get away with it, or the play. I think it was a play. I can't remember. Okay. Um, yeah, if it, if it wasn't for that dastardly Hayes code, she would have got away with it. <laughs> it was a play. Um, I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you down dastardly Hayes code. Um... <laughs> Joseph Breen. That's the name you're looking for. Yeah. 
Um, Damn Joseph Breed. Yeah, so I don't really have anything really much to talk about with the letter. I mean, other than that, you know, that was like, I thought her performance was... I'm, you know, I'm looking at the poster now and it says fascinating, tantalizing and dangerous. I, I can't really add more than that. I mean, that's very good Had advertising right there. <laughs> you hadn't, you hadn't, you didn't know exactly what it was. Did you? No, I didn't. Be, no, I didn't. Before you watched, the, you you haven't. Before you watched the film, you didn't see any trailers or read no. synopsis or anything. Nope. So when the film starts and you see her shooting like five, six times and em emptying the gun into this man, what did you think? I thought it was going to do the whole Sunset Boulevard thing of. Um, uh, this is how I got into that funny situation. Um, you know, I thought it was going to do an, you know, a, an exaggerated flashback into, you know, uh... justifying the reason why she shot this man. You know, he turned out to be a murderer of a husband or a daughter. You know, something like horrific. But no, she's just a vindictive, horrible woman. That she's not abuses... a horrible woman. Well, she she emotionally she's... abuses her husband and tries to get away with tries Poor to get away with an affair and you know if it wasn't for the lawyer and the lawyer's assistant she would have she would have you know she was they were so they you were don't find her. any you don't find any redeeming qualities in leslie no because she deserved to die you know <laughs> she, she was like yeah she i mean yeah i, I wow. yeah Poor Leslie. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think she was. She wasn't very sympathetic in this role, and yeah, yeah. I felt that. Um, yeah, I, I think. I really, I, I think the letter is, is again, like you said, sort of takes it up a notch, and her performance. If you watch. If you watch, you've seen it once, but if you watch it again, and I think you should, because it's just, every time I watch it, I, I discover something like an eyelid drooping ever so slightly that indicates something else. It just baffles me how she, sometimes she she sits in the chair and she just lines over and her hand is over sometimes like on the wall and she pretends to be casual, but she's so nervous that you can see it in her hand. And she's she's got such a multi-layered performance. And I never thought I would enjoy a film that... The plot is rather simple, right? You have this it woman, is. she's killed a man. And now she's being blackmailed because somebody knows that she's killed him because she was in love with him and he betrayed her. So a woman's scorned kind of thing. But all these ramifications and I just... I wanted to sort of discuss slightly the fact i think her I, it breaks my heart for herbert marshall um i think he uh, robert the, the sort of scorned the cheated husband he was such a good character wasn't he yes yes yeah i think that's another reason why i was i was a bit like yeah she should deserve to die because he was actually a genuinely nice guy yeah <laughs> but i think the thing with that is just that she she was deeply like truly in love with the other man and he she in in a fit of rage maybe she went temporarily insane she killed him and there's a um 
yeah, this was the second film that she did with, with William Wyler, but they were, even during the first film, um, throughout, because they were both such consummate artists and perfectionists, she was very, very um, reluctant to actually say, if you remember towards the end when she, when he's kind of offering to sort of erase everything, all the past and just move on and try to be happy as much as they can. And she he asks her, do you st- tr- just tell me honestly if you love me? And she tells him, yes, but then she's like, I still love the man I killed. And she she was very, very reluctant to, to say this line, I still love the man I killed, because she felt like no woman would be able to say that. How could you say that to your husband, that you've killed a man because you're in love with him and you still love him even after he's dead? And I think that's kind of why she would definitely have to die in the end, because she's just kind of there's no there's no saving her and it's not because she should die because she just she's dead inside anyway because she's killed somebody who she really really loved so she's doomed yeah yeah she she's she's doomed yeah um and um yeah so my point was that she she was made to say that line and she kind of disagreed with it and I think in her biography, she said that I lost that battle, but I lost it to a genius because she really understood that she she would, I think she trusted Willie. Um, that's what she called William Waller. She trusted Willie implicitly and she would, if she would back down on, on an argument, it was because she knew, she understood that he would have to be right in the end. And I think it was right to keep it in. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. I. I. I think. I think that's right as well. Um. I really noticed the. Um. I said the direction at the beginning. William Wyler's use of light at the start and at the end. Yeah. Was 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 truly stunning. I thought. Um, and and the Venetian blinds. I don't know if you noticed, but there's always some sort of like shade with the Venetian blinds kind of yeah, being I did, I did, light I cast over well, her yeah. face. It's. I think it's masterly, masterfully done. Yeah. Um, which kind of brings me nicely onto the last one you had me watch, which is the Little Foxes. So yes. for nineteen nineteen forty one. Um. So I have a bone to pick with you. Um. Why the fuck wasn't this the first Betty Davis film that you should you suggest you should have suggested? <laughs> like, it is really good. I mean, I, I mean, didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to reveal everything just too soon. You know, it's like it's like a strip tease with Betty Davis, right? You have to sort of ease it in because if you show this, if I showed this film to you, there would be nothing left phrasing. to show. They'll be like, <laughs> what? Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get your reasoning, but I'm still in hindsight. I'm looking back and going, okay, yeah, what, whatever happened to Baby Jane was a good introduction, but what? I mean. This, this you had you had seen this you, one right. It's right here. Yeah, it's it's. <laughs> but you had seen all about Eve before, so that was your introduction to Betty. I Davis. hadn't. No, I hadn't. Int- no, 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 I hadn't. I, I, you I hadn't. Seen, no, whatever happened to Baby Jane? It was my first introduction oh, to Betty Davis. Oh my god! I am so sorry. So yeah, you hear seen... it on this podcast. You hear it on this podcast live, folks. Danny fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Let that be my biggest fuck up in this line. Um, I mean, th- there are others. I mean, you got me to watch "Call Me by Your Name" and you spoiled the ending of Harry Potter. But 
Um, Let's yeah, not the... talk about Call Me By Your Name, please, ever again. <laughs> so because little, I would defend my, that film with last breath in my body. Little foxes. Um, William Wyler's masterful direction returns, and he is joined by Greg Toland's beautiful cinematography. Um, I know that I name. Was... Yeah, I know that name for very some reason as well. Um, We've never I mentioned want... him before. <laughs> no, no, and his and his collaborator never. No, um, I, I honestly, you know, I, I, I kind of had to, I had to take a minute at the start of the film. I had to take a minute and be like, this looks different to what the last film looked like and I had to look at the cinematography and I was like ah that would be why um, but you knew because I, I mentioned this I said to you watch The Little Foxes because it's, it's cinematography by Greg Toland and he's got you, Teresa Wright in it as well yeah you, you did say that but I'd forgotten <laughs> I had forgotten um, I had forgotten I had, I, had, I, had it, I had it written down um, you know I had it written down Little Foxes you know Dash Teresa Wright and Greg Toland but I hadn't you know thought of that when I was watching the film um, I kind of I was making you know I was making a cup of tea while the the, the credits were rolling, so I missed missed the credits. And uh... I had to look it up. So when I looked up and saw Greg Toland's name, I was like, "Ha!" And then you know, of course, I was I was really really pleasantly surprised to see that see the wonderful Teresa Wright show up uh, as well. She's um, quite good, isn't she? She is. She is very good. Yes, she is very very good. Um, I have made no secret as to my fondness for seeing Teresa Wright in films. Um, and then, so, but we're watching this because of Betty Davis, and <laughs> this this film. I mean, it's not just it's not just the performances. It's not just it. It is the plot as well. I mean, it's it's brilliant. Um, yeah, I think that the the Betty Davis's role is kind of like she's she's almost like the matriarch of this fan family almost. Like she's one of the three conniving figureheads of the Hubbard family. Um, she, her and her two brothers, you know, are, are, are arguing over control and you know maintaining this semblance of power in a in a dying South. Yeah. Um, you know, and she is like the focal point of every scene that she's in. You know, the the, the camera kind of observes her and observes the family with this kind of like they. they distaste you know the camera doesn't like watching doesn't revel in the enjoyment of watching this family do what they're doing you know it's like it only really see you only see the, the camera really only feels as though it's it's feeling any kind of sympathy any kind of love towards Teresa Wright and and you know her childhood friend David you know when so the the ending I'm just going to go straight to the ending because this the cap really really got me that you know she she her husband is dead her daughter yep. is decided to say no fuck you I'm running away from you you can feel the the um foundations beneath her kind of just crumble away you know she's she's left alone you know she she skulks back up the stairs she peers out from the darkness out onto the rainy street below you know the curtains to one side and she knows you can see it in her face that she is doomed to wither alone in that house yeah you know betty davis as regina is, is a horrible horrible woman you know other other actresses i think you know would have been tempted to play her as, as really quite tragic and worried and flawed 
but this version this 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 character whoever you know whatever batty davis has done it is is dark and malicious you know it's contemptible in all the wrong ways and villainous and you know i see that betty davis you know she enjoys that no no actually no she, she revels in this um you know yeah. i felt the sympathy towards you know the husband herbert by, marshall again her, again yeah um you know he, he's always really, destined to be in a shadow of betty davis yeah but no no he's a good it's the good counterweight you know you've got to have that sympathetic goodness on the other side of her you know i think you know the good part of, of if you think one of the strong parts of jezebel is the fact that she's playing alongside henry fonda and in, in in the letter you know herbert marshall's character in that and in here it's herbert marshall's character again but in in this she's also got her daughter Teresa wright and and she's got her two brothers and her her nephew who i oh enjoyed God, watching every scene I just what feel a, I just feel like he's, that was. he was uh, to be honest I think I hated him more than I hated Regina <laughs> to Leo Leo cousin Leo He was because he was stupid he was very dumb and he was just led by his family he was just like the idiot that it just I had more disrespect towards I respected Regina cuz she was just she was calculating. clever and she was calculating uh but Leo was just like oh just slap him and just get it over with it's yeah just I, I think i think i mean i did <laughs> it's like it was just i think the film was really was really great i honestly i really did i really i was really caught up in it i mean i could i could see this being remade now and doing really fucking well like i don't think anybody should touch it i don't know i'm not saying anybody should but I'm just saying, like the the, the I don't ideas, think it be the ideas and the plot and and the way the the story kind of carries on, you could easily transport this into like you yeah. know modern day, you and it could. would still be relevant and it would still work. I I don't um, doubt it, but I think it would always be anything that would be made now. It would be in the shadow of this. No, no, yeah, yeah, film. no. I I I agree. What the? I'll go back. Go back to the ending. I mean you know that it was really kind of weird the film kind of changed tone a little bit at the end like you know Teresa, you know she alexandra she's decided that she's you know done with her she's you know and then yeah. she's like why are you stopping on the stairs are you afraid to go upstairs and <laughs> at that moment you kind of become more aware of the house and you become more aware of the environment that surrounding Regina, like you know, yeah. The figure that the 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 husband has gone, the brothers have gone, the daughter is gone, and she is now alone in this dark, vast house. And it's like the sequel to this. You know, I'm not saying there is. I'm just saying the sequel to this would be them going back in ten, fifteen years, and she's just become more bitter and horrible and more like. You know, she's become a, a Miss Havisham type kind of character. Just I was, yeah, I was expecting you to say that. Yeah, much more just evil and withered, and 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 you know, the house has just consumed her in the darkness, and you know that she's got the one kind of servant who's kind of, you know, only there because he's got nothing else going on, and, and everybody else has left, and the daughter goes back, and you know, it's like, 
you know, it, it, you you feel that you can feel that energy at the end, and 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 you know that was, you know, I wouldn't have felt that if it would hadn't been for for Bertie Davis's performance as Regina, and and of of course the direction from William Wyler and and the the score as well. Um, yeah, I have, no, I um, I have a couple of things to to sort of add to that. Um, I'm really happy they enjoyed it because it's it's one of my favorite films. So I've I've sort of, like I said, I I've really wanted you to see these three films with that he she made with William Wyler because I remember when I when I I wrote uh, I don't know if you remember I think it was last year or two years ago I wrote a, a um a heartfelt piece about William Wyler's film The Desperate Hours and how much I enjoy that film and it kind of put me in a trance and I realized how gifted a, a director he was and. And you were like, I don't know William Wilder. I'm like, oh god, you should definitely. If you if you're a film geek, there's so much to learn if you watch a William Wilder film. I mean, you know, you've got Ben Hur and you have like Wuthering Heights, but there's also these gems of movies that no not many people know. Because for for what Betty Davis is, you have All About Eve, you have Whatever Happened to Baby James, which are which are more high profile films and more high high profile roles. Uh, but films like The Letter and The Little Foxes, they just kind of, I'm not going to say that they fell under the radar because people will still talk about them, but they're lesser, less, slightly less known if, if than, than, you know, All About Eve or uh, Jezebel even. I think Jezebel is still quite well known. Um, if not you know, for... The- this is this is the kind of film that will, I think, will will see a release on. I don't think it has a Blu-ray release, but I think it will see a release on, like you know, an Indicator or Criterion release. And then all of a sudden, there'll be people just be like, "Oh my God, there's this film that exists that, you know, yeah. film Twitter will all of a sudden, you know, explode over." It, explode, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I like, think it's, it's... I think the explosion is happening now with the re-release of Non Voyager that. People of just discovering how great a performance uh, performance is from all people involved in that film. I mean, you have Claude Rains who plays a doctor and he's brilliant. You have Gladys Cooper who is just unbelievable as the as the overbearing mother who is like super domineering. She makes Regina look like an amateur, <laughs> not really, but you know what I mean. Um. And you have Paul Henry and you have Betty Davis and have they have the most amazing chemistry um, together. And and yeah, but just go, to go back to, to Little Foxes, uh, this was the last film that um, Betty Davis did with William Wyler and apparently they fought a great deal because there was disagreement as to what Regina should be portrayed as. Um, to give you a bit of context, this was a play on Broadway first and as Regina you had um, Tallulah Bankhead who played her quite differently and William Wyler actually told Betty Davis to go on Broadway and watch her perform and I think it was done maybe I don't know what Wyler thought he would achieve with having that indication like to Betty but I think what Betty took it as was like, well, this is how she's done it. I'm going to do it differently because this is who I am. I'm not going to copy somebody else's performance, even if it's on stage and it's a different medium. 
so from what I could understand, Tallulah Bankhead kind of went more feisty and played Regina like a fighter, less like a super evil bitch. Um, whereas I think Betty took it to the extreme and played her like a very, very cold, calculating, remorseless, almost pure evil character. And um, yeah, and they they fought over this, and they fought over over um, the way Regina would was to look, and Wyler thought that the the makeup was too strong, um, that made Beth Davis look like a kabuki um, character from like Japanese theater, and I think that was the intention because you had this mask always on. And I think it adds another layer to Betty Davis's performance because you see her as pure evil, but I don't think she... And I think that ties in with what you said about the ending. She's afraid now. She's 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 crossed that line and she's afraid now. With all the makeup and all the masks that she's put on over the years to make her look like a kabuki um, player, she's now afraid and you see, you kind of see the cracks in the in in, in the mask and in the makeup. And um, anyway, um, she stormed out of the, the studio, and then um, they she heard rumors that she was going to be replaced by Miriam Hopkins, her arch nemesis, and she came back. And uh, one final thing, and um, you've you've mentioned the music a few times. Max Steiner was kind of the composer on duty with most of her films. And I think the color, the, the sort of, there was a bit of friction between her performance and what would be added later. And she always thought that sometimes it kind of jarred her performance with the music. I don't know if you if you picked up on it or if you agree with her. What do you, what do you mean? Like, like her um, performance doesn't gel well with the music. She was what, she in, felt like it in, would in it would distract in, in most of her films. She felt like it would sometimes distract the audiences from her performance if they heard music on top of that. Right. Okay. And um and there's a funny story just as as a context. She was often talked of as as being one of her, her most important props were, were sta- staircases because she had lots of scenes with staircases going up the staircase, down the staircase. There's a lot of action happening around the staircase. You have All About Eve when she goes to up, up the staircase and goes fast in your seat be- belt. It's going to be a bumpy night. And there's always, in, this, in Little Foxes, there's staircases and in Jezebel's there's staircases and... Um, don't know, letter. There's not many staircases in the letter, but most of the films that she's been in, there's a lot of scenes with lots of staircases, and that is a pivotal thing. And I just to sort of conclude, I I don't really like this film called Dark Victory because I thought it was too soapy and this like melodrama gone to eleven. Um, and the story is kind of even less of a story than the letter. And the letter has the advantage of having been directed by someone who knows how to direct a film. Um, and um, there's a scene in, in the uh, dark, um, dark Victory where she has to go up a staircase in, in a very dramatic sequence. 
And she goes up and she she basically stops midway through. She goes, is Max Steiner going to compose the music on this scene? And she goes like, either, either I go up the staircase or either Max Steiner goes up the staircase, but we will not do it together. <laughs> so she kind of went like, I'm going to put my foot down. Please don't put any music on top of my performance here. Um, and uh, yeah, so... I think it sometimes I think it adds to her performance like in Now Voyager the the sort of swelling music when when the dramatic scenes and the the love scenes come on um but sometimes it could be jarring if you if and I think from memory the scene that I I've always thought was um masterfully done in especially in the little foxes was of course the scene where the husband is dying but I don't think there was music there from memory. I think it was very silently done with the camera sort of close up on her face as she yeah, was, was just... I think I think it was. Yeah, because all you heard was him, his sounds of him yeah, kind of staggering. Of him staggering and around. And just the camera's just kind of focused on her, just staring into the middle distance, kind of just waiting yeah. for it to end so she can then feign outcry. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was... And I, I would be very interested to see a revival of the play or even read the play to see exactly if, if that sort of... If that was in the, in the original play. And I think the, the play was revived a few times with um, Anne Bancroft in 1967, Elizabeth Taylor in, in 1981, and Stockard Channing in 1997. So I think it's overdue a uh, revival. Who would you cast as, as Regina nowadays? Oh. You want somebody... I mean, what what age are we talking about? Like, the role? Well, like... 40s. She has a grown daughter, like a teenage daughter. I would have Florence See... Pugh being the daughter. Yeah, yeah I mean... That's a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you'd have Florence Pugh being the daughter. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, if if they were... If, 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 I don't know. If we're cast, kind of casting upwards, like, if, if this was a few years ago, I would, I would say, I don't know, you know, Meryl Streep would be the obvious answer. I mean... I know she's a bit older now, but I mean, I think Kate Winslet might be able to do it quite well. Um, yeah, I, I think, think Kate Winslet Kate... would be able to do it. Yeah, Kate Winslet would be able to do it, I think. But I was thinking more against character. I mean, I was thinking maybe why wouldn't Rachel Vice do it? <sighs> I... I don't know. I mean, if she were if she were still alive, I would say hands down Helen uh, McCrory. Yeah. I. Yeah, hands down, Helen McRory. I mean, I've seen her um, on National Theatre at home. Um, there's a, a recording of, there's a performance of her being Medea. And she just, she I think it's the most amazing performance I've ever seen on stage. She could do Regina. I think she could definitely, could have done Regina. I still, I still mourn her. I still mourn her. It's I mean, such a loss. And you got, I have literally have just Googled actresses who are in their 40s. Um, because I can't think. Um, so the ones I mean, the ones that are sticking out with me on this list, uh, Charlize Theron would, um, no, I almost forgot. 
Uh, I'm not saying she couldn't, but she she's too beautiful or she's too action type. Okay. I don't think she's cunning. I don't see her as being super super cunning. Um, the next one, Olivia Coleman. Yeah, she could do it probably. I mean, I've seen. Have you seen her in Flea Fleabag? She could Sorry? be. She was she was kind of a bad uh, nasty character in Fleabag. I've not seen Fleabag, but um, um... she's. I think that it's the worst. Uh, I mean, it, it, the best worst character I've seen her in, like the evil, bit, horrible bitch. So and, and the 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 two others. I mean, I can't believe I haven't, I I forgot Jessica Chastain and Rosamund Pike was. I think Rosamund Pike. The... Yeah, Rosamund I think. Pike. I think Rosamund Pike's still two. too young, though. I think I think Rosamund Pike would be too young. She's st- yeah. she she looks twenty five. <laughs> I I'm a big fan of both Jessica Chastain and Rosamund Pike, um. But I do I I, I do think that Rosamund maybe in maybe in five ten years Rosamund Pike could do it. She needs to have more character in her face. So uh, Catherine Han could be a good one. Uh, do you think Lena Headey? Yeah, no, Lena Headey. She, I I think the, she she will be typecast if she plays Regina because she's she's been playing Regina on Game of Thrones for so long. Yeah, she has she has been. Um, yeah, I, I think that's kind of I've kind of just just gone through actresses, but yeah, no, I I think yeah, Rosamund Pike. I mean, or for me, it would be either Rosamund Pike or Jessica Chastain. I think. If you were to cast that actress again, um, oh, Tony Collette. Yeah, yeah, she she, she, she has she, the acting she, she does it. She do does it. it very well. Um, mm. I think I think that kind of kind of makes a point is that that role only certain actresses can play, and I think for me watching these films and re going over my notes and stuff. You know, Betty Davis kind of plays the difficult. She plays the hard. She plays the contemptible, the complex, the villainous. You know, and what kind of strikes me is that she enjoys it. You can see her enjoying that performance as an actress. Um, that's funny. And that's what kind of elevates that. elevates her. I think. For for just from uh, the, this is just from a, a a person who clearly know doesn't know what they're talking about, you know. I'm just going from my impressions. No, that's from, fair from enough. These, I from these films, so I tend to agree with you because you kind of see her being like sticking her teeth into into the part and be just going going to town with that performance, just being like so intense and so dedicated, and I think that's what she did best. But I'm not too sure if if she enjoyed it, because I think she enjoyed working in general as an actress, because that's really what she was passionate about. But um, having just read her biography, The Lonely Life, I there's a scene, there's a, a an anecdote in there where it talks about her early career on stage, and she. She talks this. She she says that she was she was just doing a part and she felt like she was 
doing a really good job and she comes home to her mother and she says mom my mother I was just absolutely amazing this evening I just did my best and it was incredible I was really good I felt I was really really good what she didn't know was that her mother had been in the audience that night and she was like no you didn't I saw it it was shit <laughs> um you were it was your worst performance in in a long time I don't know exactly you, you were enjoying yourself too much on on stage it was visible and it, you weren't the character you were not playing well and um and I think that's in her biography she writes that she understood then that to be the audience expects you to be a performer not to enjoy yourself on stage or in front of the cameras by by that matter you will need to give your best and just find it in yourself to, to sort of put everything you have on the line so to speak and i don't think she was maybe she was enjoying doing that the process but not enjoying herself in the process does that make sense yeah no it does it does make sense yeah um yeah and i think i've because i've listened to quite a few actresses over the years talk about their craft and i think that it starts with finding some sort of understanding of their characters and every time she because like you said she tends to gravitate towards these bad people but she would argue that it was those characters that she, people remember more most because they're bad uh, but her, throughout her career she played sort of sympathetic characters as as it was more like 50 50 playing sympathetic characters um, as well as, as as villainous characters, so to speak. So you have, for every Little Foxes, you have now Voyager. For every letter, you have Dark Victory. Although Dark Victory, she was kind of a bit annoying. <laughs> but, um, you know, for every of Human Bondage, you have the Petrified Forest, in which she's she's quite like a serene, beautiful character. Um so there is i think there is a balance in her career what i would have loved to see her do more was comedy which is why in my opinion she's i mean she is one of the greats there's no doubt about it um but i would give the edge to somebody like katherine hepburn or barbara stanwick because they could do comedy so easy um as easy as they could do drama and film noir um but you know what i mean i mean i love betty davis i think she was absolutely amazing in everything she did and she just broke the mold and and sort of carved away through the very very difficult time that was old hollywood um the studio system was unforgiving um, especially with women and she was man she managed to sort of break her way through and and sort of make something of herself and to quote one of the greatest actors of, of that period Humphrey Bogart who co-starred with her in Petrified Forest he said even when I was holding the, the gun she was she scared the bejesus out of me hmm. and I think that's that's kind of a, a good way to, to end it because we could talk about Betty Davis's characters and her performances till the cows come home <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah yeah I mean I've, <laughs> it was quite funny so I I've looked I've got the list, our episode listings in the past, and I've been looking at, you know, what we've 
spoken about, you know, with certain other films, you know, and, and it kind of shows that whenever we've spoken about Betty Davis, we've uh, averaged um, about, about 80 minutes, um, which is the longer, longer right. of our episodes. <laughs> so whenever we talk about Betty Davis, we always go a little bit longer than we usually do. Um, I think that's because there is just so much to say. I mean, we've done, this is our uh, fifth episode of Betty Davis and might be our last for a while. Um, I think it, I think it's sensible that we, we don't talk about her for, for a while. We need to keep uh, as much as I love as a chance. Yes, I mean, we should do better. Uh, yeah, we should definitely do more on, on other actresses. Tallulah Bankhead, for instance, I mean, she deserves all the accolades. Um, but yeah, more on that some other time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think we're you know this this kind of is a nice, nice stopping point with Betty Davis. Not 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 a full stop, just a you know we've we've pressed. The I'm full just stop really and we're, we're just gonna pause it for a little bit. We're just gonna yeah you know let let this lie for a bit. Yeah, thank you, and thank you so much for letting me have my way with this bonus episode and and sort of expand on on and 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 sort of get you to watch all these beautiful gorgeous films yeah i know honest honestly you know it's the least i could do i mean you know i think you've you've had it a bit rough the last couple of weeks um with with batman and and ginger snaps um that's the least i could do (laughs) um yeah, it's the it's the least I could do. Um, and I, you know, I'm not gonna turn. I'm not gonna say no to to watching, you know, Betty Davis films. Um, I will say no if you were to say, you know, Jean Luc Godard or, or um, <laughs> whoever the guy was that directed those melodramas in the fifties, or that heaven allows. Uh, good, so, yeah. So if you turn around and said let's do an episode special on Douglas Sirk, you know, I would I would hang up the phone and never speak to you for for a couple of weeks. Um. So yeah, no, I I I would not. I'm not going to turn down a chance to talk about Betty Davis. And like I said, we've watched I've watched you know four fantastic films the last couple of days, and um, you know, I it's 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 only it's only it's only a good point. So I mean. Um, in terms, of, I wanted to say this because, um, and in terms of availability uh, of human bondage, is uh, because of rights issues. I found out that is actually available free on the internet because apparently yeah. the people who owned the film didn't uh, didn't redo the copyright back in the sixties. So since then, there's you know a freely available version of, of of the film on the internet. It's of varying quality. I think the um american afi have got a copy which is their best yeah i think it's the one that i saw um so that's the one that i saw uh jezebel and the letter they are available on dvd which is what i saw because i've got a few betty davis dvds uh that i um that i ordered and little foxes is on amazon prime yeah i was Um, going to say that's how i saw it too which is how i saw it yeah um yeah, and I think they are all four of them that we've discussed. There are in the cinema at the BFI if you are in London, and if you if you um today sixth of August there's a wide nationwide release re-release of Now Voyager, which we t- t- touched on briefly. So I think 
you should rewatch it with with an audience to see their reactions because they're they're quite priceless and um it's it's really it's a really good restoration you see like you kind of see the, the hairs on her head when she takes her hat off which i i i saw i think i saw like a bad to moderate copy on on dvd a while ago but when you see it on the big screen you kind of see like the, the sort of you see the bit of crow's feet um of the character you see like details that you didn't you didn't see before it's it's very good quality and definitely recommend it it's worth the price of admission cool yeah um and then you know throughout the entirety of august i mean we're on the 6th of august now but you know there's a whole month left you know they're showing films all through all through the bfi south bank um yeah. i did try to count how many there are but i lost count so there's yeah, about that, 20 there we I go. I found out yesterday. Films. There's about twenty films, and they're the best ones. Uh, so they have Human Bondage, they have Little Foxes, they have The Letter, um, which I've actually got tickets to go to, but I can't. So something came up next week. But if you, yeah, if you're in London for the next three weeks, go grab a, grab a movie. Uh, I'm very excited. Towards the end of the month, I'm going to see a film, a Betty Davis film, which I have not seen called the whales of august and it's one of her final performances ever and i'm very excited because she's in the film with vincent price and lillian gish so to see those two actresses towards the end of their lives and careers because they both died shortly thereafter um i think is something amazing and i'm looking forward to to watching it Cool. With that so said, I, I think yeah, we should we should wrap up. We should wrap up. Wrap now, up. I think. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. So, um thank you everybody for joining us um on this bonus episode. Um Danny, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kino Joan and my website is still under construction, so please don't go there. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nick S. Chandler. My website isn't under construction. Uh, it's superatomicvision.com. I'm still kind of plugging away at my... Trying to figure out where to go with my YouTube thing, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, and our website... Uh, website... Not even a website? Podcast email, sorry, is uh, keenatomic at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at keenatomic. Um, with all that in mind it's a, a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me and a goodbye and a thank you for listening from me